Coming soon to a city near you, Vinitaly Roadshow. Have you ever wondered how to attend Vinitaly for free? Are you a wine trade professional interested in a sponsored trip to Vinitaly International Academy or Vinitaly, the wine and spirits exhibition? Coming soon to Princeton, New Jersey, Harlem, New York, and Chinatown in New York City, Cardiff in Wales, London in England, and Roost in Austria. We'll be giving away our new textbook, Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Find out more about these exciting events and for details on how to attend go to liveshop.vinitaly.com limited spots available sign up now we'll see you soon Italian Wine Podcast, a wine-to-wine business forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th, 2021. This hybrid edition of the business forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit wine2wine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for a session on the wine consumer in the challenging U.S. market. My name is Sarah Trubnik, and I'll be your moderator for the session. Just as a quick introduction, I'm a restaurant owner from San Francisco. I operate a restaurant and wine retail shop in the city. I'm also the founder of a wine distribution company in New England. I've been working in the sales sector of the wine industry in the U.S. for over a decade. So today's topic is definitely of particular interest to me. I'd like to introduce your speaker for today's session, Rob McMillan. Rob is best known as the author of Silicon Valley Bank's prestigious State of the Wine Industry Annual Report. His career spans 35 plus years in banking and decades of experience researching the wine business. He provides much sought after views trusted by players at all levels of the value chain in the wine industry. He received his bachelor's degree in finance and economics from Sacramento State University and an MBA from Santa Clara's Levy School of Business. And he served in a variety of board capacities within the wine industry. In this session, Rob will be summarizing the changes in consumer behavior in the United States with respect to wine purchasing and consumption. As we all know, a number of factors have resulted in marked difficulty in selling wine in the U.S., including supply chain disruption, changing consumer preferences, and younger and very different consumers. Let's join Rob now for an in-depth discussion of the wine consumer in the challenging U.S. market. If you have any questions, please type them into the chat. We'll do our best to answer them throughout the presentation. Now I'd like to welcome Rob McMillan. Thanks, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. I hope you've had a, a good show today. Um, thanks for staying in there if you're you're, you're late in the day. And um, uh, I hope, you're happy, hope you have a cocktail in your hand if you're doing this uh, from video. It's morning for me in, uh, in California. I live in the Napa Valley. That's uh, the Napa Valley sunrise you see out um, outside. Uh, let's let's move into the things we want to talk about. Um, I'm going to just start by by giving a, a short introduction about some of the things that I'm not going to talk about. Really, the, you know, the industry is in the in the United States is really two industries. There is a uh, a channel that goes direct to, to the consumer, 
And then there's another that goes uh, through the three-tier wholesale system, and, and they're, they're kind of separate. Um, if you have to back up a little bit, um, and just to give you a little bit of a runway into where I'm going, uh, last year we had a, a tremendous level of channel shifting, uh, wine that was go- sold uh, from in in the past in restaurants and um, and in tasting rooms, for instance, um, all had to be sold through either online or through grocery. So actually tracking some of this stuff became quite difficult. Um, the, the normal data that we're used to seeing was was pretty complex. It was it moved all over the place. And it, you see uh, a lot of news reports about uh, increasing consumption uh, of wine. Uh, but more or less, people were looking at um, the, uh, the the information about the grocery store sales, which uh, spiked dramatically. And that's really where we're going to pick up pick up this story. Is we're we're going to pretty much leave off where we where we were in 2020, and move into 2021, and and uh, and and hopefully pass that. So um, let's go through first just some economics, um, just to show you where everybody is um, uh, in in this cycle. Uh, Before I do, um, important to recognize that in the United States, wine is sold primarily to uh, college graduates and families with over $100,000 of income. So, you know, reasonably um, uh, healthy financial families. Uh, so that's an important thing to think about as we go through these slides. The very first thing, obviously, is uh, is pandemic. Without having this pandemic behind us um, in some form or fashion under control, uh, it's much more difficult to sell wine, both through normal channels, um, as you guys are aware, that are exporting to the U.S. Uh, you know, getting your 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 bottles on a on a ship to get over here has become increasingly difficult. Um, and so we, we do have uh, several supply chain issues. We've still got to work through finding glass, getting labels. Uh, th- those are all issues that we have. To, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, this is a, this is an important slide. It's got to we got to get to this point where we see decreasing um, uh, deaths, decreasing cases, and that's that's what we see in the United States right now. Things are starting to normalize. And it looks like that we're going to start uh, moving into a period where we have uh, better uh, better travel uh, openings, probably in November. So that's good news for all of us. Uh, labor force participation rate, that means the number of people that are actually uh, employed relative to the population. And you can see it's a little bit low, lower than it, uh, than it was. A um, lot of uh, older uh, Americans have decided to retire. Others have just not come back into the labor force for various reasons. Um, if we move into um, uh, to job openings, um, obviously uh, we have a, a lot of, of, of openings these days, and um, we have a uh, uh, hires that are are, are not really. Um, uh, being, being, uh, we don't have as many hires right now as job. So that we see that split right now. Another good thing that happened this last year, uh, personal savings rate, um, really, um, hit record highs. We've never seen that in the United States. People didn't have anywhere to go and their money just piled up in their pockets. So full pockets ready to spend on experiences and things is a good thing for the wine industry that tr- tends toward more wealthy consumers. There we go. Um, GDP. Uh, we 
down 32, up 33 um, in the um, in the in the pandemic. And now you can see if you look at that past that double line, uh, we're at 3.5, 5.2. Expected the end uh, to be in March of 2022 at 3.4. Those are very healthy numbers compared to the number that you see at the left side, the 1.9. That's uh, that's where we were. This is where we are. So. Uh, the economy is doing quite well in the United States. The U.S. stock market is an indic indicator of that. Um, people that do have wealth have seen that increase from the bottom to the top, almost a doubling off the low. Uh, actually, it, it has 100% growth, so doubling off the low. That's pretty impressive. Restaurants, one of the main channels that we, we sell in, now have fully recovered from 2019 pre-pandemic um, era things. And um, and we're up to average unit sales at seventy two thousand one ninety six. Um, now the, the bad side of that is there there are fewer restaurants, which I'll show you in a second. I'll tell you a little story first. Um, I do a lot of predictions in the uh, in the wine industry, write, speak uh, consistently, and uh, and I blog a little bit as well. Um, and one of the things I was talking about early this year was my expectation that we were going to see a repeat of what we saw at World War II. Um, in World War II, after all of the U.S. servicemen and women came home, um, we had a massive party, and rightly so. We had gone through uh, so many uh, difficult periods um, through the prior years, uh, not only through World War II, but, but before that with the Great Depression and uh, what we had the Dust Bowl in the United States. Uh, prior to that was World War I. I mean, there's a string of really negative events. And so when World War II was over, people were ready to party, and, and they did. And that's, that's what happened to wine consumption back in uh, 1945. Um, and then, interestingly enough, it, it dropped like this. And in, a, in, a, in an audience where I can see everybody, I asked the question, who, who knows why that was? It's always a fun question. And the reason, the reason it dropped? We drank everything there was pretty, pretty much. And you just obviously in our industry, we don't send away to uh, to like China or Taiwan to get more like if it was computer chips. You know, you can't do that. You drink what you have and that's all you have. Um, but after that, we returned to pretty normal levels. So I expected to see that um, same sort of thing happen, that people would be in a celebratory move as the industry and tourism and such opened up. I thought people would be drinking pretty heavily. Um uh, mentioned prior, this is what's happened in the change in the number of restaurants. Um, restaurants right now um, are off about 10% to pre-COVID. So the, the numbers that are out there really are expressing um, higher higher unit sales, uh, but fewer units is, uh, is an important distinction. So uh, restaurant costs are going up and prices are going up that people are paying right now. There is uh, inflation. Some of it's, uh, as our Fed calls it, transitory, which means it'll go away post-pandemic. Um, some of it's, I think, going to be uh, what they would say is sticky, uh, probably in terms of wages and uh, what we have to pay for people. Um, and that will we'll see that post-pandemic as well. So moving right into wine sales. Rob, can I interrupt just for a second? Please. I have a quick question about your slide, your previous slide. Yeah. So you noted that the restaurant accounts were down. Based on what I've seen operating in San Francisco, a lot of the restaurants that didn't reopen or that are waiting to reopen are in cities. Is there any breakdown of those missing accounts where they are? Are they concentrated in urban areas or... 
Yeah, I would I would say yes. Uh, it, they are concentrated in chains. That's a, that's an important thing to know because uh, chains actually survived this pandemic pretty well since they had the opportunity to raise money. The the places that got hurt the most were the white tablecloth, you know, the fine dining establishment, single unit, maybe double, triple unit um, sort of enterprises. So that's what got hurt the most. And obviously, since most restaurants are in population centers, it's going to skew toward population density vis-a-vis, you know, the uh, uh, cities, cities themselves. Moving on to um, what we have in, um, just to show you what's going on with with, uh, wine sales right now. Um, Spirits today are taking share from wine. Um, th- this is this is a, a pretty interesting number, and uh, just this is just restaurants now. And what you can see is that wine growth coming off the bottom, um, it's gone up, but it's still negative on a trailing twelve-month basis. Um, so, uh, you know, today, as of August, anyways, this is a, a slide from SipSource, which is the wholesalers. Um, we're off four percent, and yet spirits are up seventeen percent on a trailing twelve-month basis. Um, so we're, we're not keeping up with spirits, uh, certainly in restaurants. And that's one of the things that we'll see in a second. Here is uh, grocery and drug, as you would suspect, because we had that channel shifting before. Uh, both spirits and wine are uh, in a uh, declining mode. Um, spirits, uh, pardon me, wine now has moved uh, negative into negative growth in a trailing 12-month basis. Spirits still positive, though. So that tells you something. Now, let's put, put those slides together. I think this is probably the most important slide that you can take a look at. So this is restaurants and grocery uh, packed together over this over this time sequence. January 21st um, is, you can see that basically, uh, you know, prior to, let me turn on my, if you look at, if you look at prior to January 21st, you can see that, that, um, Wine is a spirits, and then wine down here. They tracked about the same. When we when we got to reopening, wine fell off, and spirits soared. And uh, you know why is that? Well, it's because uh, there's a difference between wine and spirits in the consumer's mind in the United States right now. Um, we have you know a, a situation, particularly in restaurants, that shows up. Wine is about twice as expensive per serving uh, versus uh, spirits. And so it ends up being, uh, you know, pretty obvious to a consumer when they walk in and they see a, on a, on a wine list or a, a beverage list now, as they, they're called, because uh, wine has taken a, 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 a smaller share of that uh, that list. What happens is you have something that says 2017 Sauvignon Blanc Napa Valley. That's it. And then you have another thing that's craft cocktails. And it says, you know, gin sourced from wherever, you know, combined with natural and organic ingredients and the bartender takes some stuff and he puts it over it and makes fire. And it's, you know, it's, it's all, but they're the same price. And what's the consumer going to do? Well, you know, if they're looking for buzz for the dollar, uh, they're probably going to go spirits. Uh, If they're looking for excitement for the dollar, they're probably going to go spirits. Um, So that's, that's what we're seeing right now in the reopening trade. We're not seeing wine participate. Wine wasn't really invited to this reopening party, so that was that was something I didn't see coming. But it's something that is I probably should have, and is now pretty obvious, I think, to uh, to most of us. Um, so spirits versus wine. When we look at it regionally, uh, this is this is twelve uh, month rolling through August. You can see spirits volume up uh, in pretty much everywhere, 
year to year, um, both in grocery and restaurants with wine off. Um, it's, it's not really great news, I, I hate to say, but it is the news. Um, imports, important to talk about that, I think, for you guys. Um, this is by varietal. And if you look across the varietals, Chardonnay um, is up a little bit um, in import, uh, as are red blends um, and Sublanc, mostly out of New Zealand, um, and Rosé uh, out of Italy. So there's some, some minor growth. Uh, there when you look at some uh, some of the varietals, but but not much. It's not really going that great. Total imported table volume down 2.3%. Total domestic growth is down 6.6%. So you're less import importers are less bad than the United States right now in terms of performance. One of the things that I missed, uh, I, I knew it was there, but I, I thought it would go away with the reopening trade was some of the long-term trends that were already sitting on the industry. Um, so let's look at a, a few of those in a couple of different charts. So this is a source from the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse. And um, beer has had a, a difficult time uh, probably since the 70s when it um, uh, rolled over. We, we consolidated all of our beer manufacturers to just a few, um, trying to effectively um, keep up with a prior generation, the, the people that came back from World War II, who were very frugal. Uh, they they had survived the Great Depression, and uh, and so the beer manufacturers consolidated to lower production prices, and uh, and uh, try to deliver a, a lower unit cost, and that and that worked because the that old consumer bought on buzz for the dollar. It was ethanol per dollar is what they the way they shopped. Um, you know, if you look at wine, wine had an interesting uh, growth period through the eighties. Um, as the, those older consumers started to move over to wine and then and then uh, and then moved off, so here's wine. Wine, uh, uh, as I said, you know had a had a growth period, and now you see it trailing off. Um, spirits, on the other hand, uh, bottomed out in, in the in the nineties, uh, late nineties, and then they started going on a premiumization trend, which uh, is shows up in pretty much all of the data at this point. Um, to total U.S. table wine consumption, this is uh, an obvious pattern shift that you see, um, uh, you know, throughout throughout the data, and um, you know, particularly um, through this period, you can see neo prohibition. So we had a, a lot of anti-alcohol people uh, pointing out all the negative impacts of wine, uh, mothers against drunk driving, uh, just a whole whole group of different people. Um, it, it bottomed out in 1994 as the boomers started to take over. And really, wine was the only good thing at that point that was made. Beer, uh, quite frankly, sucked. And we didn't have craft beer in the United States. We didn't have uh, individual people making making beer. So that, that wasn't around quite yet. It, that uh, started more in the late 80s. Um, and so, you know, we had an opportunity and we had something just that worked out pretty well. Um, for a number of years, wine just took off, uh, and we had a lot of wine consumers, you know, being very happy. And, and the wineries uh, themselves grew, and uh, growth, uh, you know, the rising tide uh, took all boats higher, as they said. But then we hit this period, and we have to say, you know, why? That's an important thing. So here, here is a slide about. Um, this is just a, a data point from uh, September 11, 2021, and it's uh, what you can see is what's happening in the U.S. right now. 
the lower priced wines just aren't doing well. So the the, the part this is dollars. And, um, these are bottle prices over here, and um, dollar percent change versus a year ago here. And so you can see on a dollar basis, you know, I put a heat map in here so you can kind of see what's not going very well and what is. Um, so the kind of the more expensive wines, the more and more expensive, the better, you know, the better it's selling. The less expensive wines just aren't doing well. Um, if you look at in volume, it's it's really the same thing. So, um, you know, that's that's a major problem that the industry has got to address. And uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, here is a slide by uh, that shows you what happening in varietals that are eleven dollars uh, and greater by volume. So they're doing pretty well. And it's this is a little bit complex slide, but this is share. So when you look at uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, that has the largest market share, but the trend is only a two point six percent growth. It's positive, but it's just two point six percent. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and Other Stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. Chardonnay is the next one at this point, point uh, seven. And uh, that's 0.7 growth, uh, but the second largest. So r- red blends really are the ones that right now are doing the best on a share, both a sh- share and a trend basis up 18%. You can see the premium varietals are greater than $11. The look is a little bit different, right? We, we have positive growth um, across most everything except for Zinfandel and, uh, and Malbec. Total table wines less than $11, just not doing well. So this is white wine. Uh, it's got 36% of the of the um, the share, and it's a negative 5.8%. 34% share for red table wine, down 13.5%. Those aren't good trends, and uh, that's something that uh, I think everybody has to be aware of. Is when you start to shoot under $11, the consumer's not buying. So you have to think about what you're uh, selling in the in the stores. Let's look about. Let's diagnose now what we're seeing. So those are the those are the data that we're looking at. But you know you, you got to ask yourself why. Well, part of the reason is um, in the in the 90s when wine consumption really took off in the United States, uh, we had wine consumers. They, they didn't drink spirits. They didn't drink uh, beer, um, and we had um, uh, you know pretty much wine consumers that were drinking 100% wine. Today, uh, 15% of drinkers are exclusive to wine. They drink across categories, so uh, they're they're less um, they're less committed to wine than than the prior generation. So that's part of the explanation. Here's another data point I think that that starts to get into the real issue. So this is a share of legal adults. So if you add up 25, 17, these orange kind of bars, 17, 17, and 22. Uh, the, this is the the share of population, and then if you look at the purple, that's the share of consumption uh, in in these age groups. So you know we expect younger consumers in the left, the twenty one to thirty four, to probably not be wine drinkers yet. It's expensive. The thirty five to forty four, we'd like to see something a little bit better than this because the the most 
most retail uh, spending is done between the ages of, of 35 to 55. And, um, you know, here we have a situation where the 45 to 54 um, uh, isn't really engaged yet. And you would think by, you know, this, this age group, uh, this 30, 45 to 54 age group, you would think by that point they would be engaged with wine and they're, and they're just not. Still to this day, it's, it's boomers, it's older uh, Americans that are still uh, holding the dominant share. And we're going to look at a couple of other slides from that. Just another important thing to, to mention that it's pre, not predominantly, but a, a large, a larger percentage of the, the population. Here's again, total adults. Um, and the green is total wine drinkers. And you can see it's, it's predominantly white. And so we're missing out on the Hispanics, black and Asians, which uh, not coincidentally uh, make up a larger part of the younger uh, population base. Here is uh, something, uh, this is a survey that I run in the United States. Uh, uh, I run two of them a year. I just finished with another one. And um, uh, this shows you what's happening with those younger consumers. Um, the younger consumers are, are just simply stagnating here. They're, they're not really buying in. Um, we had a little bit, little bit of amounts in 2020. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that those younger consumers were actually getting out and um, uh, going to tasting rooms in the United States and, and uh, you know, looking for ways to celebrate. They were less concerned about, uh, about the virus versus older Americans. And so you see a, a relative change here between boomers and, um, and millennials. But still, uh, at 36%, still today, Boomers again show as the uh, the largest consuming uh, uh, cohort for wine, and you know obviously it's not going to. You know when you have a, a consumer base that's 50, 57 to seventy five, you know they're not going to all be around forever. <laughs> I will, uh, but but not everybody will. So why are they cutting back? So this is a slide from Nielsen, and I think it's it's an excellent slide. Sixty three percent say they're the health healthier lifestyle, health-related reasons, consuming more non-alcoholic beverages. Um, you know, you add them all up, and it's 63% that are talking about health issues. Another important uh, chart from uh, BLS Consumer uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, Consumer Expenditure Survey. This is alcohol um, spending, and it's by, you know, you can see it at the bottom. This is This is for Consumers that are legal drinking age to age 25, so it's the very youngest. It's the it's the gen um, what is that Gen Z, I think. And you can see increasingly over the years since the 90s, that youngest group it's Gen Z over here. It it is you know millennial in here, and something is Gen X in here. So it's that it's that consistent uh, period of time carried over on a sequence. And you can see that younger generation, as it's moved in, is, it continues to spend less and less. And that's not a good sign. Looking at the rest, this is alcohol 25 to 34. And it's it's kind of, it went up and then it flattened. Um, and, you know, the rest of them, you know, kind of uh, look pretty much the same, maybe uh, more of an increasing trend throughout. But again, it shows you that we're not hitting that young consumer. We're, we're missing that young consumer. And that's a, a critical thing. Um, just look at the headlines that we see. Uh, this is a little bit of a data slide now. It's from last year, but uh, this is the kind of stuff that you see in, in our press. Um, uh, so the, actually, this was from BBC. How many cigarettes in a bottle of wine? Um, and so 10 cigarettes a week um, is equal to one bottle of wine. That's in theory, it's a scientific study. And the scientific study was crap. 
if I can be so bold. You know, the design of that study was to try to link cancer and wine to, to decrease consumption. It's part of the anti-elk movement. Um, another one, relationship between recent alcohol use and sexual behaviors. You know, here they have a 671 uh, patients that they that they looked at. It's not good science, but they're they're trying to link um, you know mortality and uh, and disease to wine. Another one that I think probably many in this group have heard: no level of alcohol consumption Im- improves health. Um, that, you know that ignores a lot of the data that's been out there for a very long time about improved cardiovascular. Um, in particular, um, and wine's component in a healthy lifestyle. Wine is bad for you, France. Health minister warns that was um, quite a, uh, a row, as I, as I understand it, um, particularly in France when, you know, the French health minister says, don't drink wine, that's not going to go over well. I, I can understand why. And then this in the New York Times in the, in the middle of this last year, should we be drinking less? Um, those same anti-alcohol people were trying to push toward um, uh, reducing in the U.S. our USDA dietary guidelines and just they didn't have the science to do it. Unfortunately, the way it ended up is um, is government pushed back. And so it's still viewed as healthy to have uh, moderate consumption, two glasses for men, one glass for women. But this is, you know, when you have a, a, a younger consumer who's very health conscious and they're and they're say that they're declining in their consumption for health reasons. You got to look at the root cause, and a, a lot of the anti-alcohol uh, messages are are getting through now. Where do those come from? World Health Organization is a big component of it. Um, uh, World Health Organization. Uh, uh, this is from their own site, so you know you can see exactly what they've what they are are trying to do. You know they try to uh, uh, take statistics that are questionable at best, and uh, you can see here. Uh, uh, as an example, 5% of breast cancer, 7% you know, anybody with a brain can think through how do you, how do you end up thinking that that 7% of hypertensive heart disease, how do you, how do you come up with that math? It's just not, um, <laughs> it's not sensible, but you know, this is the kind of stuff that's put out. It's not science, um, but they're, they're trying to, to draw a link between the two. Now, they, after they vilify wine, then they have a coordinated attack on it. So they, what they want to do is regulate alcohol distribution, uh, restrict or ban advertising. Europe, uh, as I understand, is already uh, dealing with that. Increased prices is another way through, uh, you know, higher tax. Um, that Sometimes that gets a lot of uh, interest from uh, legislators, uh, raise, raise awareness, surveillance, and then... Um, They'd really like to, for everybody to show what's in a bottle of wine. Uh, there are some additives, and, and some, in the, even in the wine industry, don't want to put that on. We don't have in the United States, as probably everyone's aware, calories. And calories are something that is really linked to health. People want to know what's going in their mouth these days uh, and how many calories they're consuming. Something we're going to have to, to deal with. That's the, the metric, is they want to take uh, 10% harmful use, is what they're saying. Uh, their data is focused on harmful, but their uh, their actual um, uh, plans and strategies are focused on total wine consumption, total alcohol consumption, not harmful. A uh, question, Rob? Sure. Yep. Shoot. So these coordinated attacks, would you say that they're focusing more on wine and less on spirits because the consumption of spirits is up? Would you say that wine is is in the bullseye for some reason? 
No, I would say that um, that it's it's all alcohol, and just because spirits are up doesn't mean that it's not impacting spirits. Total alcohol consumption um, is is you know flattening, um, as we know, and um, so spirits are doing better comparatively than wine. Uh, beer is dropping through the roof. It's not because it's not because of uh, any uh, work by the WHNS. It's because of you know their own. Um, issues in beer and, and the way they um, uh, not met consumption trends for quite some time in the United States. So that, that's a good question and a fair one too. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's total alcohol, not just wine. Um, so this is one one slide that I try to show to um, you know many groups uh, just to show you the difference between boomers and millennial, and then what you ought to do about it. So as an example, here's this is the support group as a value. This is a value we're talking about consumer values. Uh, the family is, uh, you know, the way the boomers thought about it. In the United States, we've increased, we've kind of screwed the family up and have a more than 50% divorce rate now. Um, and so young people have not really um, had the same belief in a, in a family system as my generation. And uh, and so friends are, are the ones that they depend on more. And so your action now, when you think about how you sell wine, now it starts to make more sense that you've got to drive that social media um, and communication laterally. Um, you know, there's there's lots of different strategies you can you can come up with, but you know, the idea is you really don't want to just have that top down, you know, megaphone from uh, from the uh, the CEO seat. You want to encourage that lateral communication. It's the recommendation from other consumers. That really helps um, drive um, drive sales and uh, and interest for sure. It's not so much scores anymore. It's 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 uh, the the recommendations of other people that they do trust. Choice in food. I'm going to skip through most of these, but um, better if you look at the action. It's you know for well, let me back up. Boomer, you know we thought we just wouldn't need it if it's bad for you. Uh, the current generation only eats if it's good for you. It gets back to what's in the bottle. And uh, and better for you is the way we think about it. So what's better for you? You know, uh, if you're going to drink wine, spirits or beer, what's better for you? Um, and uh, we, we do need to think about that uh, thing. I'm going to skip through a lot of these things. You guys can get this the slide deck if you if you're interested in, um, you know, looking through these a little bit more it might help you think about some of your uh, your strategies. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly when you look through the, the, the deck here, um, between boomer and millennial, they're very different. And we're still in this country marketing to that older generation, you know, it was lifestyles of the rich and famous and, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous is an, an anathema to the young consumers. They want to, they, you know, they have a more, um, socially aware, uh, viewpoint on their values. Um, so just one more thing that we've got to think about. So um, just some examples of the way other things are being sold. So serving size, um, calories, if you just look at, you know, the way uh, Coke is an example over here. So, you know, they, Coke is an, a great example because uh, sugars have been, uh, you know, targeted as uh, part of obesity and, and diabetes in the United States. And so uh, Coke sales dropped off tremendously. Um, one of the things they did is they, they just shrunk the, the size to seven and a half ounces from 12 ounces. And now they can say it's got lower sugar. Um, and, and this, this thing is actually kind of taken off. Um, 
if you look at other things, you know, the, the term clean is used a lot. Um, whatever that means, it's kind of nondescript, but that's, that's what's used. Cause marketing is a big deal. Uh, you know, over here, we, we have a, uh, in, in a lot of corporate snack rooms, you know, snacks are out, uh, out, out in, in there for everybody. Um, in, back in my day when I started in banking, um, you know, we, we had, um, uh, cup of noodles and we had chocolate and coffee and soda and that was it. And today we, you know, there's pretty wide uh, selection of foods, but you know, if you're worried again about, um, about calories, you know, you shrink the, the size and everybody's trying to go for a hundred calories or less. That seems to be the number that, that resonates with a lot of, a lot of people. And these little things in the bottom, um, you know, it starts to talk about again, what's in the, what's in the, the, um, the product. Um, uh, here's a, you know, natural caffeine, whatever that is. Um, but the term natural is, is one that's used and somewhat abused. Um, zero calories. Um, and we do see a lot of, of, um, in the United States, we're seeing growth in, um, non-alcoholic, uh, wines, beers, um, ready to drink spirits, etc. Um, so zero calories, you want to you want to lower the the uh, number of calories? Just take out alcohol. That's that's one way to do it. Another way, um, these these badges that you you see sometimes. And I, and by the way, I'm not suggesting we stick this all over our labels. We should be true to what we do. Um, you know, it's we don't want to. I don't think we want to go exactly this way, but we want to think about it and, and use these strategies that are that are successful um, to to our benefit. Uh, here's another one. Uh, it's from Kettle, Kettle One, you know, Kettle One is a great story because they weren't doing very well until somebody got the idea to infuse botanicals. And, and after that, they did quite well. Why is that? Because it's plant-based, which is just, it's just funny to me because, um, and here's another, made with vodka, distilled with real botanicals and infused with natural flavors, that, that word again. And I just think this one's a crack up to me because it, references how we've missed the consumer you know because botanicals now are a thing plant-based is a thing and for god's sakes wine is plant-based <laughs> and the consumer doesn't seem to know to know that it's uh it's just crazy uh, variety pack white claws done very well you know gluten-free you can see some again some of the uses low carbs made pure whatever pure means they actually trademark that term pure you know, 5% alcohol. So that's, you know, obvious for them. 100 calories. There's that 100 again. And that, you know, there, maybe there's a way to do that by size. Not quite, I don't think, uh, but, but smaller sizes do make sense. And I didn't cover that slide in here, but the things that are growing, uh, right now in the United States, um, are smaller sizes and, and alternative pack. Um, uh, and Rob, a couple of questions have come in. Yep. Um, one question. What about packaging? Should wine producers take into account the preferences of the new generation? Is yeah. that yeah? So, um, it, and we I was just uh, actually getting. I didn't I didn't cover it in the slide, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, wine is heavy and and bottles are heavy. Um, you know, you're you're able to see in in uh, you know RTDs an example cans, aluminum cans uh, are uh, growing in popularity in the wine industry, but. Um, you know, it takes a lot of weight out of, uh, out of shipments. And so that's, that's one thing that, uh, that we could do, but there's all sorts of other packaging. There's packaging, paper packaging that's starting to come into play now. 
um, I was recently at a, uh, a bar where I asked for a sake. So I'm drinking across categories too. Um, it, was a, it was a Japanese restaurant and uh, the bartender was new. And, uh, you know, in, in keeping with this uh, difficulty in finding people in hospitality in the United States, uh, but it made it made the bartender's job very easy to reach in, you know, into a refrigerator and take out a, a just a, a milk carton. Basically, it was a you know a cardboard container uh, of sake that had you know all sorts of packaging. It looked like it was you know made for a uh, a twenty year old or something. The way I think about it, it just you know it didn't have a an estate or anything that that looked uh, the way we would think about uh, normally branding. Um, but the sake was quite good. And uh, there is another example of smaller size and packaging um, and actually playing into the, the more the difficulty in finding um, uh, help here. So definitely a place to think about. I talk about, again, switching away from moving away from long days, cool nights and scores. So um, nobody reads this. This is a... Um, uh, it, it, this could come from anything. There's my friends from the central Otago in, in uh, New Zealand, but uh, this is what we see in the back of winemaker on uh, the back of wine labels, and nobody reads this. So why, why do we put it on here? Here's one that I think is pretty cool. It's a, a small winery uh, in Paso Robles, and they're, and they're used in iconography to uh, to show people kind of what's in there. People can scan this really quick. Um, there's all sorts of other things that can be can be popular. If you want to look at 19 crimes uh, using VR, is is very helpful. That you know kind of has uh, organically grown as a, as a label, you know, primarily because of the use of that. QR codes are becoming more important again. Um, who thought that would ever happen? But that's another way to to help uh, you know change the way you're marketing. So it's uh, final points, and then we're going to have some time for questions. So um, the, one of the really great things is that the U.S. consumer is in a really uh, strong spot. They're, they're spending. They have cash in their spending. Um, the U.S. stock market's at a very high point, and, um, uh, you know, that's the, the wealth effect. When you have, think you have a lot of money, even though it's paper money, you're more willing to spend. And, again, wine skews toward uh, you know, people with money. Travel and tourism is about to reopening. It's going to extend the opportunity for growth in the Alcbev segment. And, you know, let's hope wine takes advantage of that. Um, again, not not addressing the uh, uh, the problems with supply chain. Uh, most people think that should be, we should be caught up kind of uh, middle of next year, uh, maybe Q3 at the worst, but we'll see. Um Wealthy consumers have felt, uh, fared well through the pandemic. They had jobs. They worked from home. I'm working from home, as you can tell. And um, and so they're still uh, ready to spend. It's the, the consumers that really don't have a lot of money or couldn't find employment or were let go uh, from jobs. A lot in hospitality uh, is an example. That uh, And they're not wine buyers anyways. I, it's, we need them to be. Um, we need them to engage in those lower price wine categories. Those are the entry level wines that we need them to engage with. Um, but, you know, our normal consumer is still there. Uh, just mentioning this uh, below $11. That's that's a bad sign because unless you can engage that consumer at an entry level, um, 
you're, you're just not going to get them to engage when they do have money at a higher level. So this is something that the, uh, the industry in the United States uh, certainly is, is just missing. Uh, spirits continue to take share, and so we need to adopt some of their tactics. I showed some of those examples. Um, and, and it's just to get your, I'm not saying again that we change our labels to, to, you know, we've tried it before, critter labels or whatever. We think that that's going to engage uh, a younger emerging consumer. And maybe it did, maybe it, maybe it didn't. Uh, we've seen, you know, Moscato boom, we've seen critter labels, we've seen red blends that are back again. And so there's reason to believe maybe there's some some uh, hopes anyways for some entry-level type wines um, taking off again but we we need to address some of the values and look at what's happening with uh, spirits um, in in the way that you market as well it's i think they they're kind of leading the way we need to follow a bit oops and the last one is connect your marketing um, with uh, uh, with young connect you marketing uh, so your marketing with young consumers um, somehow we've got to identify with those values and we, we've got to reach them. And marketing means pro, you know, promotion, packaging, uh, you know, across the board. But let's remember they're looking for plant-based foods and wine is plant-based. So uh, with that, Sarah, if we have any other questions, we can take those and uh, or we can uh, give people back some more time. What do you think? Yeah, we've got a couple of questions that have come in. Um, one question is, are smaller portions and lower calories an option for the wine industry? Would that be something that would potentially improve sales? Yeah, well, it is. Um, that's You're seeing package growth in the United States on 375s, uh, 500 ml, um, and uh, both, interestingly, smaller packaging um, is doing quite well. Um, alternative packaging is doing well. Um, and, you know, uh, for a frugal consumer, you're seeing uh, an increase in sale of, of box wine again. Box wine took off during the pandemic, kind of fell in some hard times for a few months, and now it seems to be coming back. Uh, private label is another thing that's quite strong. Again, uh, the, the frugal consumers looking at private label as being a, a, a value play, a place to get in at the right, at the right price. And, and those consumers are frugal. And then we've got, we've got about a minute left. There's an interesting question. In a word, is alcohol going to go the way of tobacco in America? Well, uh, that is certainly the way that uh, the anti-alc movement is pushing. Um, you know, they, they really had a hard time addressing the, the French paradox, the Mediterranean diet, work of Arthur Kanzler that um, talked about a J-shaped curve with improved cardiovascular health uh, from moderate consumption of alcohol. Um, and so rather than continue to fight against that, what they've really done is they've tried to link cancers um, and what they call all health mortality. But cancer is, is the one that they're, they're, they're focused on right now. And, um, and if they can figure out how to identify wine as being cancerous and we've started putting cancer labels on our bottles, um, and I think some, some regions are already doing that, you know, that'll certainly have an impact on a, um, on a, uh, a consumer that is health conscious, on any consumer, right? If it says cancer, you know, it's, it makes you pause. So um, that's something the industry has to um, to deal with. And for what it's worth, um, uh, me in the United States, I'm working with uh, three other people 
uh, MJ Dale, Dale Stratton, Danny Brager, and we're, we're trying to put together a, uh, a marketing organization to help promote brand wine and defend against some of the bad science, um, more or less promote the, the good science that's out there and, and talks about the, the benefits of, of uh, wine consumption. That's what we're, that's what I'm doing personally and hope to see that come through in the next, uh, in the next couple of years. It takes a while to get there, but uh, we're making quite, quite good progress. Right. I think we're out of time, but this was very interesting. And I hope we all continue to talk about this and hopefully we'll see some wine sales increasing over the next few years. Good deal. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everybody. You guys have a great evening over in Verona. Hope to see you all live in person without masks one of these days soon. Take care. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.